Warning, this podcast may contain graphic and triggering content. Please listen at your own risk. Each individual struggle is different and everyone's recovery and healing journey is different. Please reach out to a certified medical professional if you need help. Welcome to episode 21 of Stomp the Stigma, the podcast aimed to fight the stigma surrounding mental health through education, awareness, experiences, stories, resources, and the vulnerable truth. Joining me to Stomp the Stigma today is one of my friends from high school. I got to reconnect with her after so many years. Today's episode is part one of two. We had such a great conversation. It ended up being too long for one episode, but we talked all about her experiences with bullying, major depressive disorder, eating disorders, body dysmorphia, and body image issues, which ultimately all led to a mental breakdown and her hospitalization a couple years ago. So stay tuned next week for part two of this episode, but enjoy this amazing conversation with my friend Christy Melhorn. Hi! Hi! How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's so nice to see you. You too. It's been so long. I was trying to remember... Like, whether I had really talked to you after high school? Yeah, I know. And I was trying to think, like, have I run into you? I think there may have been, like, moments over the years where I've, like, been riding my bike and I rode past you. Because I feel like I've seen you since high school. But I do see what you're up to on social media. So maybe that's part of it, too. Yeah, that's true. It kind of... Not that you keep in touch with people, but you just, you kind of have these little like windows into people's lives and what they're still doing without kind of being in contact with them. But yeah. How are you? Oh my gosh, I'm doing good. It's been this last year, like as it has for everyone, it has been a journey. Mm-hmm. It's been a journey. Um, yeah, the last year was really crazy. Um, I actually worked more than I've ever worked in my life. Um, Yeah, because I work in digital communications right now. So everything shifted to online. So there was this major demand for online work. Um, So I ended up burning myself out like beyond belief. And um, I am actually, as of this past Monday, I'm officially on a leave. So I finally get some time to just relax. So I'm happy about that. <laughs> oh, good for you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That sounds like so stressful. Like, do you know how long are you off for? Do you have a, a time frame? Um, I'm hoping to take until like August-ish Ooh. off. Yeah, yeah. So I have the summer to just like kind of do my own thing and get my life organized. Like I moved into my apartment um, my new apartment back in November and there's still boxes like yeah. unpacked. Oh. <laughs> I'm looking around, there's still stuff that needs to be dealt with. And I just, I just literally have not had the adequate time yeah. and like for how my mind works and for how my mind processes information and handles tasks. Like I just haven't been able to do it. So, and then like that on top of everything else, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, that's kind of the kind of the summary. I, I miss dancing, I miss performing, um, and I'm got the vaccine, so I feel like <laughs> with every person who gets the vaccine, it's like closer to something more like reminiscent of the before times. Yeah, I am so looking forward to going back to I don't know if you could call it normal life or pre-pandemic life, I guess. Well, that's tough to maintain or manage, I guess, a uh, work-life balance when you're working from home and you are you have your computer there all the time or your phone or, or whatever. You can jump on, look at emails at any time, like at night, on the weekend. It's hard to kind of like draw that boundary when, when it's so accessible all the time so hard and then with social media too it's such a dopamine hit to see the engagement yeah that you like have this compulsion you're like "Mm -hmm, check and see how it did (laughs) it it is kind of like a way 
especially when it's your job, it totally is like a system of measuring your, your almost your worth in a way, like how your work ethic value you bring. It's really bizarre. And it's such a new field too, Mm -hmm. that I feel like I'm kind of part of a case study to see what it's like, like working in that kind of career. Yeah. Do you find that you use social media less in your personal time just because you're on there all the time during the day? Um, I, it kind of varied. Like sometimes you would get into this role where you were just like on all the time and yeah. um, interested in like you get inspired to like create things or take pictures of things to share for your personal um, accounts as well. Um, but yeah, there it definitely, um, that only happened once in a while for me really, but for the most part, I would kind of just avoid scrolling through my own feed. Um, yeah. I would kind of stick to the work account and just focus, like kind of live in there more mm-hmm. than my own. I would just kind of post things to my own. Now that I'm having a break, I have had to tell myself like, don't, just get sucked into a social media wormhole. I mean, I'm not totally against social media. I'm not like, I'm not like, you know, bring it down, but it can be really hard on your nervous system to mm-hmm. be on there excessively. Yeah. Oh yeah. I get that. Yeah. So tell me like, what's everything all about? What was your inspiration behind it? Um. Okay. Growing up with my own mental health issues and struggles, I felt like I didn't really have anywhere to turn and nobody really talked about those kind of things. So I felt like I was like almost the one of the only people that was struggling with it and I just felt so alone and there was no even resources for like my parents to turn to like because nobody really knew what was going on with me when I was a kid. Um, I mean, I understand it a lot more now, but when I was younger, I had no clue what was happening to me. And I was like, this is not normal. And I'm there's nobody else out there like me. And then with the pandemic and splitting up my work team, I ended up working with just one other person for the past year. And we ended up getting really close and kind of talking about our mental health issues with each other and my coworkers struggled with similar things that I did and like just hearing about people's struggles kind of um, I guess coming to the surface or um, being like exacerbated because of the pandemic I just really wanted to have a place for people to turn to for resources and sharing other people's stories because I feel like if you hear other people talking about maybe similar things that you're going through or kind of what they do to help them and things like that I think it, it helps get the conversation going with a lot of people that aren't super comfortable sharing um, their stories yet and so yeah I wanted to start this to talk to therapists and resources and people that have their own struggles and kind of get the conversation going in Calgary. I feel like there's not a lot out there right now, or at least it's yeah, hidden, no. so. And the stuff that is, it's, like, not really, it's not the easiest to find. Like, you have to kind of go hunting for it. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, you, like, really have to um, kind of dig, dig around and have your – Honestly, I would never have been exposed to the world of mental health resources that I have been in this city if it wasn't for my extreme mental breakdown that I had uh, two summers ago, summer 2018, I'm pretty sure it was, was when I was hospitalized. Um, yeah, it was, ex- wow. it was really intense. I've actually never posted anything about it. I've kind of hinted at what's happened and... Um, I've kind of like alluded to it. I really want to write a memoir about everything. Like my hospitalization was an accumulation of years and years and years and years of unresolved grief, of sexual assault, trauma. 
of anxiety, depression, all of it kind of rolled into one Mm -hmm. that led to pretty much um, a year without sleeping properly. (laughs) And uh, my body finally gave out. Like I couldn't even walk at that point. And I, yeah, it turned into a really intense, scary night where I had to call the cops to take me to the hospital. It was very intense. And I made sure to write every single thing down that I could while I was in the hospital um, to put that into a bigger, like a longer form piece Mm -hmm. someday. But I was so excited when you messaged me because I, I love, I do love talking about this stuff. Yeah. Um, And I feel like I just have this burning story to tell. So when you sent me that message, I, I was like, Oh my God, yes. And I, having known you from the past you're you have an energy, like, I know you've said that you were struggling growing up, but you have a very calming, approachable energy. Like mm-hmm. you feel safe to be around. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, I just want to thank you for um, agreeing to come on here and share your story with me and the world. And I'm so excited to hear about it, but I, I feel bad that I never knew any of it and I had no clue what was going on when when we were in school together. I never would have guessed that you were going through any of that and I, I'm sorry that you did go through that and I'm, I hope you're okay now. Um, I'm sure we'll get into that but I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story with me. Oh my gosh, honestly, my pleasure. Thank you for creating the space. I find it really exciting and really freeing to be able to do that. So yay, thanks Good. for asking me. Good. <laughs> so I know like it's probably going to get personal and emotional. So if there's anything that makes you uncomfortable or you don't want to talk about, just let me know and we can move on or cut it out or anything like that. So ready ready. (laughs) yeah I I don't even know where to start like you've been through some shit in your life and I had no clue um and I'm so glad that you posted about it on was it pink shirt day I think I think it was yeah Yeah. that's right because I was kind of commenting on the bullying from when I was younger and how it tied into what was going on at home yeah I that was my first kind of exposure to your story. I had no clue. So, yeah, I guess to start, like, you were bullied a lot for your appearance, for, I guess, being tall, for some of your features that were maybe not so feminine-looking to some people. Like, when did that start, and, like, how long did that go on for? Um. Well, so... I was always, I always had a tomboy streak in me. Yeah. And then I'd say like uh, grade five, grade six, maybe a little bit in grade four was when um, I first started getting poked at for my appearance. And um, yeah, like you said, like I was definitely as tall or taller than a lot of the guys in my classes. Um, my athletic abilities were really powerful. And so I was often like right up there with them as well. Mm-hmm. And I guess that, like at the little junior high that I was going to, that wasn't like terribly common, not to say that there weren't really athletic people there, but like, I remember making it to like, uh, actually I remember winning dodgeball games and uh, there were like these three boys who were like, the, you know, the archetypal athletic cool kids in elementary and who always won. And I remember winning and <laughs> it just seemed to like, you know, everyone had something to say like, oh, it's because of this or it's because of that. Like, I just couldn't have won it on my own. Like there was, there were circumstances, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Take that away from me. But um, yeah, I was like, um, just very, I'm like very athletically built And I was kind of scruffy as a kid. Um, So as I mentioned in that post, my mom growing up, uh, my mom had Pick's disease, which is similar to semantic dementia. And um, it affects your motor skills. It affects um, your ability to control emotions, your memory. It's a a degenerative disease. 
so my mom was slowly fading and um it's funny i say slowly it was in a way it was it felt fast and slow at the same time but my mom was was going through what she was going through and my dad was a workaholic and I think his way of trying to cope with everything was to work so I was often left to my own devices as was my older sister and I just honestly could have had better hygiene as a kid I just I, I don't know I wanted to present myself as this like boyish person to protect myself mm-hmm. I and that brings into um, that brings into question like how we see femininity and masculinity and how we've internalized this notion that uh, femininity is not as strong as masculinity and I definitely picked up on that at a younger really young age I guess so I wanted to present myself as masculine to seem tougher and I thought it would like I guess I thought it would um, keep people out of my business and leave me alone. It made me so uncomfortable whenever people asked me if I was okay or like if they could help or what was going on. I felt super guilty and shameful about it. I guess a couple of the kids' parents knew what was going on and like some of the teachers eventually figured out what was going on. But uh, yeah, I was just kind of this like, um, (laughs) as my family friends called me a mop top. (laughs) I didn't like brushing (laughs) hair (laughs) I wore baggy dirty clothes and um so that was kind of like the first what you see what I was what people were seeing of me was kind of like a moving target for them to find things to criticize me about I remember this girl coming up to me on the playground and this was in grade five I think and I was new to the school and I was just playing by myself on the monkey bars and she was like this happened all the time. People would come up to me and be like, are you a boy or a girl? And I'd be like, a girl. And I like would begrudgingly say it. And um, just the responses from kids. Oh my God, kids are monsters. Um, I just remember this girl saying to me, you're the ugliest girl I've ever seen. Oh my and, God. When you're, and when you're like that age, it's you're sort of developing into your body more. You're... Um, becoming more aware of your physiology, I guess, and like the physiology of others. It was just, I just remember it stung so deeply. And I didn't really talk about it much with my family. Um, I just kind of like felt bad about it and like, I guess, let the feelings kind of move through me. And then I would lose myself in art or bike riding or something physical that repressed stuff, it definitely stays mm-hmm. for those experiences. They stay and they can, they absolutely impact your choices, your self image um, as you move through life, maybe without you even realizing it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that like your own attempts to be strong and kind of hide what you thought was like a weak side contributed more to the bullying or did it actually work to kind of fend them off? Um, I, I honestly think that because I wasn't very reactive, yeah. like I wouldn't explode, I wouldn't cry, I wouldn't um, swear at them or anything like that. I think it actually kind of worked in that instance um, because there was nothing um, to, for them to really build off of. Mm-hmm. Like, and the, like when I, the bullying was definitely, uh, like I was never physically attacked or anything like that. Yeah. It was more so like, oh, like it was more so just insulting my appearance. Like I'm, you're ugly, you're a man, you're a tranny. I remember being called a tranny whore one time when I was like 12. And I was like, why is that an insult for one thing? Like even my growing up, my sister was like very unconventional and she had a lot of friends who definitely didn't fit the status quo. Mm -hmm. So I was used to those kinds of environments. And I was like, I don't get like, okay, like why is it even an insult in the first place? But knowing that it was laden with malice is what made it hurtful, you know? Wow. Yeah. I think that was the same for me. Like I was never physically attacked or anything when I was younger, but it's a lot of 
hurtful words and harsh comments and those definitely stick with you some of them do for sure oh yeah absolutely and like as a kid it it really hurts um I remember this kid in my class going around the room we were like had a work period or something and he was sitting behind me and he was chatting with his friend and he was going around the room pointing at people and being like skinny fat skinny fat skinny fat and he pointed at me and he was like fat and uh (laughs) that happened a lot too like just being called fat like so often and it's I wasn't like a bean pole um but yeah it was really rude and it, it definitely happened more often than than not I guess wow see when I knew you or the way that I knew you I never ever like saw you as being heavy you were always like this tall athletic girl that was I that blows my mind that people would (laughs) bully you for that because I that would never have even occurred to me it's so amazing how much that stuck in my head for like years I remember um I mean during high school my I definitely had my waves of depression and I definitely had my moments where I just felt so like my body dysmorphia was definitely there. Um, It's so funny. It kind of like comes in and out. And uh, yeah, but I remember it was really bad when I was like in junior high. I remember just being like, I can't wear that because I'm like too, like I look too fat in it or um, just things like that. Like you kind of put these weird rules around yourself based on some of those things that have been internalized. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then there were other forces at work, too. Like, um, I'm not, like, you know, I'm not blaming the, mo- like, models or the modeling industry as a whole, but it, I think when we were growing up, um, from what I remember, there were so many teen magazines that yeah. were very one-sided as far as, like, representation and um, just so, oh my gosh, looking back, they were so bad. Like Seventeen Magazine was so bad. Uh, I remember there was this one spread and it was like all these pictures of these different girls and the comments of what different guys said about them and if they would take them home to meet their parents or not. And it was like wow. awful. But yeah, even back then, at least I kind of had like the presence of mind to be like, this is weird and unfair. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no kidding. There was this one thing that I remember from that magazine. And I think about it to this day. It was like this questionnaire for guys, if they, what they think about girls who go out with wet hair. And it was like, guys be like, it's lazy. It looks bad. It means that you don't care about yourself. I was like, this is crazy oh my god yeah what I mean stuff like that I I don't know I I haven't touched a magazine like that in years so I don't really know what that's like anymore but definitely when we were growing up yeah there was a lot of stuff like that yeah I agree I feel like they kind of died out a little bit but I don't know I mean obviously they're still around but I feel like they're definitely not as popular now because you can get everything online, but. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good point. Exactly. And there is, while like social media kind of is a double-edged sword, at least there is way more representation available. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned in your post that you entered into a period of self-starvation. Was that because of the bullying due to your weight or was that, did that have, like, did you have other reasons for, for that? I think it was a huge, uh, like a lattice of things. Um, I think I remember I, I actually, so here's how it all kind of happened. Um, I went to Spain with the university of Calgary for a food and culture study that summer. And it was, it was amazing. And I, enjoyed that trip so much. I'm still really good friends with a lot of the girls who were on that trip. 
Um, I still think about that trip, like at least every other day in some, some way it was super special. And, um, while we were there, we just, we were learning so much about food and our relationship with food from on so, from so many different angles, like gendered food, um, politics and food, tourism and food. And, um, I, I had taken this course before we left about, it was also just like a general food studies course and reading about how we're so like, we're so out of tune with our bodies and our body signals. And, um, while I was on the trip, I honestly didn't think about any of that. I just had a great time and, um, enjoyed everything that we ate and that we got to experience. I definitely, I think every woman has this fear of, or like sense of guilt around eating certain things sometimes yeah. like that's yeah. also super uh, ingrained in our culture and in our psyche. So of course, like that would come up here and there. Um, and there were actually quite a few girls on that trip who had a lot of issues with food and were terrified of calories. Um, our professors actually pulled us aside one day and had like an emergency meeting basically. And they were like, we have to be honest. We have never taken a group because we were like their sixth or seventh group who went. They're like, we have never had a group who was more obsessed and paranoid about calories and mm. um, like gaining weight. So I think that like that was kind of in the air, but um, I, because you're walking so much and eating such high quality food, I lost weight without even meaning to. And um, I got really sick while I was there, which definitely contributed to it. Um, my appetite wasn't as good. So, so I, I, I happened to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And then I came home and that, that trip was um, pretty much my last full semester before graduating. So my, I had like one more course that I had to do and then I was done. And I was 20, I think I was 24, 24, 25 when all that was going on. And um, that's an important thing to remember. I'll bring that back up later. But I came home, I'd lost weight and everyone started commenting on it. Like, oh, you look so good, you lost weight. And I was like, oh, I'm getting approval for this. And I don't think I thought this consciously, mm -hmm. but I was like, oh, it feels kind of good. So you're getting this like approval and like all these compliments from everybody. And um, because I wasn't doing as much school, suddenly all of these super intense like feelings of loneliness and um just this kind of hollowing dread in me started surfacing and little did i know at that time that that was the beginning of my major that was the beginning of my major depressive episode so i have since been diagnosed with major depressive disorder but i didn't really realize that that was what was going on mm -hmm. at the time but it was that bad. I think I had so much pride around it. I was like, well, I'm a little, you know, bummed out, but it's because of this and that, and I've got it all under control. And I didn't, I started restricting my food. I, I, I think I start, I used food as many people do as a way to uh, gain a sense of control over my life. I was really scared deep down. I think about graduating and moving on to the next stages of my life. Yeah. And the age 24 is actually recognized in psych, uh, psychiatry as being one of the key ages where all of your, anything within you, any kind of mental health issue within you, it will reach its peak at 24. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, I'm not like totally fluent in the science about it, but something about that particular age and the way that your brain develops that is like the prime ripe age for any of your underlying mental health conditions to come ripping forward. So it's exactly what happened to me. I just was, uh, yeah, like I said at the time, I didn't realize I was so depressed. I just thought that I was um, kind of nervous. And uh, I thought that I was like, grieving school because I loved school and I was grieving my trip and that trip was amazing. Like I wasn't ready to come home. Um, but yeah, little did I know it had to do with way more, um, way more feelings and experiences that were, uh, not properly addressed throughout my childhood and my, my adolescence and my adult life, early twenties. And, um, 
it just kind of started spiraling out of control. I actually put myself on a wait list to go into counseling, like a free counseling. Uh, there's a free counseling resource in Calgary that I've used before. And understandably, there's a wait list for it. So I was on the wait list. I called in and I let them know that I was doing weird things with food. Like I noticed I was having hard, a hard time eating. Um, I didn't want to eat. I felt awful for eating. Um, and I, I remember trying to just like, yeah, eat as little as possible. Like if I got a little bit hungry, I would take like a bite of an apple and try and satisfy it. Or I would like suffer through the hunger to the point where it would, I would just stop feeling it. And uh, you can get away with that for a little bit, but your body will not let you do that in the long term. Mm -hmm. There is just no way. To this day, my body, like, like a lot of people do intermittent fasting. Yeah. My body won't let me do that. It's traumatized from what I went through. Yeah. I, like, I swear to God, I just can't do it. Um, but anyway, yeah, during like, while I was on the wait list, I just, I dropped, um, what was it? I was started at 180 and then I dropped to 130 in three months. Wow. Yeah. So that's a very significant amount of weight to just like lose. And while I was doing this, I was working out like nuts, forcing myself up, working out like. I had this weird rule for myself where I had to burn a bare minimum of a thousand calories at the gym and burning a thousand calories when you're running on like a thousand calories, maybe not even that many a day. Um, it really, it started catching up with me. I lost my period I, uh, for quite a while. And uh, I remember my, um, I remember my, what is it? What are they called? Like your sacral bones, like the bones in your lower back. Mm -hmm. I remember when I would drive, I could feel them like rubbing against the back seat mm -hmm. and it gross, it would gross me out so much. Or if like I was doing a core workout, I could feel those bones like on the mat or like yeah. on whatever surface I was on. Um, and I, so when you're, when you first start starving yourself, you kind of hit this weird euphoric state and everything feels really good. And it's kind of, I'm not, again, I'm not totally sure what the science is about that, but it's some kind of way for your body to cope with what's going on. I think it releases certain um, endorphins maybe. And then after a while, you just start feeling like absolute crap. So it went on. I, for, oh, I obviously wasn't sleeping well during that time. Um, I was slowly just losing my mind. And the thing was too, um, was, yeah, for, it definitely was a, for a sense of control. And I think that there was some kind of weird, like validation and self-worth that came with being really skinny. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was this complex and people were, uh, people who didn't know me were like, Oh my God, you look amazing. I remember people coming up to me in the gym and being like, you're even skinnier. Like, how are you doing this? You look amazing. I want to look like you and getting this reinforcement I was like, it made me extra scared to gain any weight, even yeah. though I was feeling horrible. Um, and I knew deep down that I couldn't sustain this. I knew deep down that it was wrong. And uh, I kind of just pushed myself through it until I couldn't anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I actually had this really scary, really intense dream one night that I was in this um, graveyard in New Orleans. It felt like New Orleans. And um, there was this pool in uh, one of those graves, like this big rectangular um, grave. There was, it was uh, used, being used as a pool and there was this like cloudy blue uh, water in it. And in my dream, it turned out that this was an ancestral cleansing pool and all of these in my dream, at least these dead ancestors of mine started coming forward and were encouraging me to get in and um, were telling me that I was like pushing myself to the, like the uh, kind of the film between life and death. And I remember waking up and I was like, Oh my God, that was, I feel like that was more than a dream. Like, I'm not sure yeah. what your beliefs are or what, like, 
our list, your listeners' beliefs are, but I definitely believe in some kind of spiritual realm. And uh, that was very much reinforcement to me. Wow. And I was like, I have to do something. So I think even after that dream, I think I tried to do a workout and I couldn't see myself in my face anymore. I remember trying to go on the Stairmaster and I felt like I was going to just fall flat on my face. Yeah. And then um, I was like, okay, I can't handle this. So I went into the studio and I couldn't see that like sparkle in my eyes anymore. And I was like, I, I can't, I can't do this. And then this is where we get into the fun part. <laughs> I called the doctor immediately, managed to get in for an appointment that day, went to my doctor and poured my heart out. I was like, I'm starving myself. I have an eating disorder. I'm extremely depressed. I don't know what to do. Um, Like, I don't know how I can function, like how the way I'm feeling, I could barely function anyway. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to, I don't know how to sustain my life right now feeling this depleted. She didn't, I swear to God, she didn't listen to a thing. Like it just flew completely over her head. And she goes, oh, how did you lose all this weight? Did you cut out carbs? I need to lose weight. I just had a baby, you know, and like the baby weight, it's like really getting to me. I really, yeah, that was her, those were her literal words. And I just stared at her really hard and I got up and I stormed out. I was like, clearly I can't rely on you. And when you're in a state of self-starvation, your body does, your body and your mind does really weird things. Like it actually triggers OCD tendencies. So you become like extremely obsessive compulsive about everything around you. It uh, triggers really intense paranoia. Your mind is just not in a good place. Mm -hmm. So I felt super isolated and alone and uh, decided I was going to try and like fix it myself basically and I think I was seeing a therapist I'm trying to remember if I was seeing a therapist at the time oh that's right I did start seeing a counselor but bless the poor girl's soul she was an intern and she was really young and I felt like I honestly felt like what I was going through was way too much um like I kind of felt like I was leading the counseling sessions every time Uh, yeah so then I tried to kind of fix it myself. It was extremely difficult and it led to my debilitating insomnia. Oh my gosh. Just the physical torment. I, (laughs) this is kind of funny actually. Um, so during my eating disorder, I also had disordered eating, which meant that I restricted specific food groups. So I was terrified of fat, which I have since learned is just total bullshit. Mm -hmm. Like, fat is where it's at. Um, <laughs> I, um, I have being deprived of, of fat made me feel crazy. It made my brain feel like it was about to fall apart. Like my brain felt like it was glass and was about to like shatter into pieces. So I, I remember I finally cracked and, uh, bought like a giant jar of peanut butter and sat on the floor of my room scooping peanut butter with um, like at first a spoon. And then I grabbed a dark chocolate bar and I just was like, Oh my God. Gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. My body was like, I have had enough. I've had enough. Yeah. And that happened. That did happen. Actually the gorging thing definitely happened more than once during that whole thing. Cause I would try to eat so little. And then uh, finally I would just snap and like, go to town on food. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely went through similar things with just restricting the kinds of foods I was eating, trying to cut out like all carbs or like foods that were stereotypically like bad for you because I was so desperate to lose weight. And then I would end up like binging on just anything and everything that was like so much worse for you yeah Yeah. I definitely relate to that there's so many things that you just said that I relate to so much it's crazy and it's crazy that you brought up um being 24 years old or how that uh can be kind of like the peak of your mental illness because when I I think this happened around 24 
um, I was at work one day and I was just like feeling like I was going to hurt myself or like do something. And I just, I called my boyfriend and I was like, I don't know what to do. Like this, I have no idea what's going on and like I'm going to do something bad. And yeah, that was kind of my turning point, I think. And at that point, like my family had no idea what was going on with me either. And that was the moment that they, or I, in talking to him, he kind of like pushed me to reveal that side of myself to my family. And that's that's, good. that's crazy that you bring up that age. Because I'm pretty sure that was like around then too. Yeah. yeah, I remember them telling me that when um when I eventually was in the hospital, I remember being uh, having that explained to me and I, I felt so, uh, while it was very emotional, I felt very validated in a way. I was like, my whole experience made me realize that there is this whole world of being a human and the human condition that, like you said earlier, it's just not common knowledge. Like it's just yeah. not really well known or like, conventionally accepted but it's such a reality we all go through something reminiscent of this I guess whether we're like aware of it or not and like varying degrees at different times of our lives but it's it is a part of your life like Mm -hmm. trauma and trauma responses are a part of your life oh absolutely yeah and I I definitely think that there there should be more space for that to be accepted and embraced in the real world and when I say the real world I guess I mean like um your everyday life and like your professional life and I think it's getting better I do Mm -hmm. I've been very lucky that a lot of the places I've worked at have been very open about that kind of thing yeah um within reason I'm like don't worry I won't tell you everything about how I ended up in the psych ward (laughs) and uh I I ate eggs and hot sauce like every day for every meal while I was in there um but there is more, I think that based on my experience, there is somewhat more of an understanding around that, but the level, um, and I'm not sure like how you were feeling in that moment of your life. Um, for me, the sleep deprivation was what really took hold and just, I just stopped being able to function. I, I was just the worst. Um, once I started eating, better at first I was sleeping okay because my body was like oh thank god Mm -hmm. like food fat real food um and I got I I went to a sports lab in the city and I actually got my BMR tested I paid a fortune to have my BMR tested and um to get on a nutrition plan with a nutrition nutritional is it nutritionalist or nutritionist nutritionalist I don't know it could be either <laughs> well you know what I'm talking about yeah <laughs> and, uh, I'm glad that I did that but I, I hate to say it but they, they gave me some of the worst advice I've ever had in my life oh wow like my whole experience of finally getting the help that I needed while I'm grateful that I had that help it was rough it was rough and I was so willing to receive help mm-hmm. but everywhere I turned I was just getting uh, you know, it sounds a little sob songy, but I was getting terrible advice. I was getting dismissed. And I think that this has to do with, uh, maybe this happened to you too, but being young and looking like you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. People don't like anyway in the, in the medical situations that I was in, I just don't think people really took me that seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so I went to a sports lab. Um, they saw on my BMR that, um, and for, for anyone who's listening and doesn't know what that is, it's basal metabolic rate. So it's the bare minimum calories that you need to survive. And just to, like, if you were to lay in bed all day and do nothing, not move them like an inch, that's the basic amount of calories that your body would need to sustain itself and to live. Um, my BMR was like around 1500 calories, I think. And I had been eating like 1200 calories for months leading up to that. And because I wasn't eating any fat, 
my uh, body based on that test was burning more like a crazy amount of carbs. And um, I had explained like I had an eating disorder and this is what I, I basically told them the whole story and they saw that and they were like, Oh, okay. You know, like that's, that sucks. They validated that. But um, they were like, you should do fasted runs in the morning to enter the fat burning zone. Yeah. Try fasted runs. Oh my God. <laughs> Telling someone who has serious like self-starvation, self-restriction issues to do fasted workouts. That was just a nightmare. It was, it was a nightmare. And I, in the moment I was like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? Cause that like self deprecating part of me was like, yep, that's what I have to do. Um, and then the nutritionist gave me all of these nutrition plans and, and meals. And I, I was like, all I want is to just, I just wanted to surrender control and have someone else give me structure for a bit. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to count my calories. Like I, I'm not going to count my calories. I'm just going to follow this nutrition plan. Like she knows what she's doing. Mm -hmm. I was starving after eating everything on that plan. Like for each day I would be starving. And I, so finally I added up all the calories and it was 1400, like around 1400 calories, like less than my BMR. Wow. And I was like, what the hell did I just pay $500 for? Yeah. Like this is nothing. And I remember emailing her about it and she was like, Oh, that's weird. Let me review it. And then she just never got back to me. And uh, she was supposed to have like two follow-ups with me or something after. And again, like that just reinforced the loneliness and the like fear that I had that there was no help mm-hmm. available. So again, like tried to take care of it on my own. And then that's when the insomnia really set in. I would sleep for like seven hours sleep. I was not really entering a deep sleep. I was so stressed. I was so, I remember putting so much pressure on myself to get up at like 5 a.m. and go for a fasted run. It was just crazy. I remember doing that for a summer and I finally was like, I can't do this. It's stressing me out so much and working out shouldn't stress me out. Yeah. That's something for anyone listening. That is something super important to take away that you shouldn't have to be like, like working out should make you feel good. There's Mm -hmm. going to be days that you don't feel like doing it, but it doesn't have to be this source of dread and stress and obligation. And that's what it had become for me. Yeah. 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 There's definitely a line between working out um, and being healthy and working out so much that it's like an unhealthy habit it was very unhealthy yeah and then I felt like I would have to burn off anything that I ate like yeah oh my gosh I remember going home (laughs) I remember going to friends birthday parties or something before COVID times where it was fine to go to a restaurant and have a birthday dinner with a big group I would go and I'd be like on my way there and I'm like, I'm not going to eat that much. I'm just going to have this and this and this like no cake. Or if I have cake, it just has to be like a little slice. I would kind of like give myself this template of what I was going to do. And then I'd get there and I'd be in the moment and like enjoying myself being around people who are awesome and who love me back. And food is such a, such a focal point of um, connection and bonding with other people. I, you know, instinctively I would eat and then I would leave and feel horrible about it. I would go home. I'd get home at like 11 and I would go on the treadmill and like do a really hard weights workout. Oh my God. Yeah. I would definitely, I punished myself a lot for eating. And um, it's amazing because now I don't do all of that stuff. Like I don't, torture myself like that um and I'm really proud of myself like even recently it was it was my birthday on the first and um I ate all my treats I didn't feel like I had to go and like run on the treadmill for two hours after eating my treats and uh I was just I just kind of stopped and said to myself like that's a huge deal for someone who maybe hasn't been through an eating disorder or hasn't had a doesn't know anyone who's been through a really rough eating disorder it might not be a big deal but for those of us who have, um, those are huge, huge wins. Yeah. 
So I hope like whoever's listening, you know, I hope that um, you do celebrate those, those moments. Oh, hearing that makes me so happy. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's okay. I Hearing that makes me so happy because I definitely know what that's like. And I think I'm still kind of getting through those feelings of like guilt and shame for eating certain things and like, or eating that piece of cake or something like that. Um, that makes me so happy to hear that you were able to enjoy everything and enjoy your birthday. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And I'm glad that you feel like you're getting through that as well. And like mm -hmm. something I've had to really reconcile and that's something uh, my psychiatrists have definitely reinforced for me is that those feelings, they never fully go away. Yeah. Like comes in waves but it's better to just be like okay this is what's happening right now this is how i'm feeling and just sit with it for a minute and and then apply like you know give yourself some emotional nurturance maybe talk to somebody about it someone's safe about it and then uh let those feelings kind of move through and then go and list, treat your body properly mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, it's important to give those feelings space, but not to let them, to use like a very ironic word, not to become like overindulgent with them mm -hmm. and let them consume you, mm -hmm. you know? And the thing is, <laughs> while I was really, uh, really, really intensely obsessed with nutrition, the amount of food that it takes to gain weight is, it's a lot. And, uh, you need the calories. Like we actually, um, our culture is pretty weird in that we do have like mad portion sizes. A lot of the times, um, it's easy. It is really easy to eat, uh, an excessive amount, but on the day to day, like if we're just kind of going about our day, I actually don't think that a lot of us eat enough. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we eat enough of what we should be eating. Um, and that, that's a whole other story. That's a whole other bag. And again, I'm not a nutritionist, so I can't fully comment on that. But it's it's definitely, I think that our obsession with gaining weight and our obsession with our body image is probably more excessive than what we eat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Thank you. <laughs> so after all of that, what is your relationship with exercise now? Because I know you do work out now. Like, how has that changed for you and how do you kind of handle that? Um, I definitely sometimes struggle with workout guilt yeah. where I feel like if I don't work out in a day, I get really like, I get very emotional in some ways. I feel really guilty about it. I feel like I, yeah. you know, drop the ball. I do too. Um, yeah. yeah. Like I feel that that comes, but I'm way better about like, being like, I need to rest. Today is a rest day. I deserve this rest. And having this day off will just fuel me for more satisfying and more rewarding workouts for the rest of the week. Yeah. Um, I have a super, I have super high energy levels and I, my body is made to move. So I obviously still need like high levels of exercise. Um, but I'm way better about like knowing where to cap it. Um, even recently, like I have a spin bike at home and there was definitely a while there where I was killing myself on the spin bike and I kind of recognized what was going on. My body was getting tired and I was starting to feel that pressure. And I was like, okay, this is getting to be a bit much. And I was getting bored of it. I was getting really, really bored of spin. And I was like, that's it. I need to take a break. Like I'm way better about taking breaks when I need them and doing something else, like getting outside, going on hikes and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And being hiking, I honestly think is next to dance. Hiking is like one of my favorite activities. Just like being out, truly being out in nature. It does make your mental health better. <laughs> yeah. And finding exercise that is fun for you that you look forward yeah. to that doesn't feel like a chore and like almost like torturing yourself like if it's something where you're having fun and you don't really think about the health aspect of it I think that makes such a big difference yeah I completely agree it's like my body is enjoying this movement not like 
well, if I want to eat anything today, if I want to have like yeah. that birthday cake at my friend's place tonight, then I better crank out two hours of exercise. Like I just, I just can't subscribe, subscribe to that anymore. Like you yeah. said, the yeah. psychological stress that it causes, it's just so exhausting yeah. and it's so unnecessary. Exactly. Like, yeah. Um, so yeah, I can, I definitely have a tendency like, uh, I was alluding to, I definitely have a tendency to become a little, uh, excessive, but I'm a thousand times better at knowing when to stop mm-hmm. and when to change it up and, uh, just give my body a break. Yeah. 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 Same with the, the comments about your weight. When people make comments like that now, do those trigger you? And, like, take you back to when you were younger? Um, That's a good question. I – sometimes, yeah. Um, I definitely have – and I think think sometimes because eating disorders are so connected to what's going on around you in your life as well, um, times in my life where I feel like I don't have as much stability – is absolutely when my uh, eating disorder tendencies kick in and um, I become like, uh, what's, what's a good example? Like say, say I just uh, quit a job and I don't have anything secured. I don't have like any stability bills are coming my way. Like there's stress, right? That's when I would become super OCD, OCPT about my calories and my working out. Mm -hmm. But if other systems in my life are more at ease, it's way less. I do, there are definitely times where that piece of you hears things the wrong way sometimes too. Like I've had a couple friends who just to, to be completely kind and loving towards me, who saw me through all of that, say like, you look so healthy now. And that, that nasty part of me kicks in and is like, they're saying that you're fat. They're saying that, that you gained weight. Yeah that mechanism will come in and then I feel like crap for like a minute or two. Mm-hmm. And I just have to kind of like recognize the situation for what it really is. Yeah. And that that's not the case. Like that's just that hurts that really hurt piece of me yeah. kicking in with that auto response. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I don't often have like as many flashbacks to when I was younger, um, with that being said, I think it, I think I have it packaged up pretty tight and, uh, definitely in like some therapy sessions, um, those are unlocked and explored more, um, cause they were really painful. Like I remember this, this one haunts me actually. And this one made it really, really difficult for me to feel a hundred percent good about myself in a swimsuit for a long time mm-hmm. was, um, it was my grade six farewell party and we had it at, Mount Pleasant Pool, which is right beside where I grew up. And uh, it's like literally a block away. I love that part of the city so much. And I had spent so much of my childhood at this pool. Like it was such a safe sanctuary for me. And we had our farewell party there. And uh, I remember having all those kids there. I was like, (laughs) I felt so possessive of the space. I was like, they don't belong here. They're mean. And like, this is my safe place. But um, now... I'm not a hundred percent sure if this is true because another boy told me this, but apparently according to this kid, um, the guys were daring each other to come up to me and tell me that I looked good in my swimsuit as an insult to like taunt me. And, uh, yeah. And I just, just knowing that and like feeling the, um, shame around that was really heavy and uh I mean it that one definitely stuck like I remember going into junior high and just having the hardest time like picking up swimsuits and stuff like we were going to Mexico on a family trip and I got like the most covered thing possible Mm -hmm. I'm like feel way better about it these days Mm -hmm. but uh that one hung for quite a while and like when I do think about it I'm like I, when I think about that now, I'm kind of more just like, God, what little jerks. <laughs> right, kids can be so ruthless. Yeah. 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 
tune in next week for part two of my conversation with Christy. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we will dive even more into her story next week. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Feel free to reach out at any time. You can contact me on Instagram and Facebook at StompTheStigmaYYC and you can email me at StompTheStigmaYYC at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, please like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. And if you or someone you know would like to come on, I would love to have you share your story, speak your truth, and together we can stomp the stigma.